Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Did you ever have the experience, maybe in school or in some other walk of life, where you didn't entirely understand something? Did you ever have somebody come alongside you and try and explain it to you? And they'd maybe begin by asking some questions. Which bit don't you understand? Or which bit did you forget? Once they'd established where exactly the problem was, they'd maybe say something like this. Well, let's go right back to the beginning. That's what we're going to do, going to do in our morning services for the next couple of months. We're going to go right back to the beginning, the beginning of the Bible, God's Word. Lots of us don't really understand the Bible terribly well. We don't understand what it is that God's saying to us through His Word. Some of us might understand it in part, but there's still a lot that we don't quite get. So for most of us, and I'm including myself here, our understanding, it's patchy at best, and at worst, our understanding is almost non-existent. I want you to imagine for a moment that we were going to build a house this morning. If we were going to build a house, where would we start? There's only one sensible place to begin to build a house, and that's by building your foundations, isn't it? Beginning to do anything else just doesn't make any sense. Well, I'm, I'm going to suggest that it's the same with the Bible. If we're ever really to understand God's Word and, and what it is that God's saying to us, we need to begin at the beginning with the foundations. And that's exactly what we find in Genesis. These opening chapters of Genesis that we're going to look at are a foundation that the whole of God's Word depends upon. I think if we don't understand this, we are going to miss a whole lot of what God wants to say to us through his word. I think that's, that's inevitable. But on the other hand, if we do understand this, if, if we can get our head around some of these, these ideas in the first chapters of Genesis, I think it's going to open and unlock doors the whole way through God's word. It's going to shine light on things that we previously didn't get or didn't quite understand. I'm conscious as I say this this morning that, that maybe some people are sitting and, and you're saying to yourself, I already know that part of the Bible. I already know the early chapters of Genesis. I know about creation. I've known about Adam and Eve and, and Noah ever since I was in Sunday school. Well, I want to make you a promise before we even begin this series. I promise you that unless you're you're an expert in Genesis. Unless you're a biblical scholar, you'll probably learn quite a lot over the next few weeks. I have in my preparation, and, and I found it very, very exciting, awe-inspiring, to go back to the beginning and to see what, what God's Word at the very outset says. Very, very quickly, before we look at some opening verses of Genesis today, let me 
tell you a little bit about this book. Genesis, that, that name, it's a transliteration of the Greek word meaning source or origin. You've heard, of, heard talk of genes and genetic engineering. Well, that's coming from the same Greek word. So the people who translated the Bible into Greek from the Hebrew, they gave it this name Genesis, meaning origins. But in the Hebrew Bible, whenever they gave a book a name, they usually just chose the first word of a book, and that became the name of the book. So in the Hebrew, the name of this book is simply In the Beginning. But if you you think of those two together, they give us an idea of what this book's going to be about. It's going to be about the source and the origin, about the beginnings of everything to do with God and biblical faith. That's what this book will teach us. Just one last introductory point. Genesis can be divided up into loads of different, different ways, but the main division in Genesis happens around the end of chapter 11. The first 11 chapters up to the call of Abraham are one unit, and they're best dealt with as one unit, and it's those 11 chapters that we're going to look at for the next couple of months on, in our Sunday morning services. Well, let's, sorry about that. That, that was a, a long introduction to what we're going to do. Let's look for a second this morning at the opening verses of Genesis. If you have your Bibles there, turn them open because you will find this this interesting as as we go along here. If you look at verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This opening verse makes incredible claims. We're so used to them that they're like water off a duck's back, but actually they're massive, massive claims. It's hard for any interested reader not to be drawn into this story. The beginning when was that? God? Who who is that? Did God really create the world? It's all there in the the opening sentence. This this verse, if you like, gives us a summary of the whole of chapter 1, because chapter 1 is going to tell us how this creation came about. But in the opening verse, we get already the whole story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want to point out just a couple of interesting things here. The, the word used here for God, the Hebrew word Elohim, is a plural form. And that might surprise us because we believe in only one God. This doesn't mean that the Hebrews meant, thought there were loads of gods. What it does mean, though, when they used this plural form, it was a sign of respect. It was a way of of recognizing the transcendence of God, that God is far more powerful, that he is over and above everything that he created in the created order. So that's, that's the name that's used of God. And if you read on there, it says, in the beginning, this almighty God created the heavens and the earth. Just very quickly about that phrase, the heavens and the earth, that doesn't mean literally the heaven and then literally the earth as if to ignore everything else in creation that's not what it means if, if you think with me for a second you know the phrase that we use day and night if, if a mother a new mother for example says that she's been feeding her baby day and night she doesn't literally mean 
in the daytime and at nighttime. What she means by that is the entirety of time. She means that she's feeding her baby all the time. And that's how this expression heavens and earth works here. It doesn't mean just the heaven and just the physical uh, globe of the earth. It means everything in all its entirety, the entire structured universe. So in this opening sentence, this opening verse, the audacious claim of the Bible is that God, an almighty, powerful God, created absolutely everything that is known to us and things that aren't known to us. Um, I better say that. After verse 1 has summarized this this whole picture uh, of creation, verse 2 gives us a really interesting picture, what the world was like before. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I think that might surprise you. The, the way the creation story is told here, the earth already exists. This is the way that the biblical account to us, the planet itself appears to already exist. But although it exists, it hasn't been formed in any meaningful way, and it's empty of any meaningful life. I can still remember in, in college by the way, if I ever use a, a Greek word or a, a Hebrew word, do not be impressed. It doesn't mean that I know Greek and Hebrew. I probably know about five words in each of those two languages, but sometimes it's useful to, to explain something. There's one wee word or, or a couple of words here that I do know, and I quite enjoy them because they sound quite funny. I can still remember at college learning the Hebrew words that lie behind this translation, formless and empty. They're the words... Tohu vabohu. Tohu vabohu. Now, why am I telling you about these? Well, first of all, because they sound great, and I think you should enjoy just the, those great words. Tohu vabohu. But I want to talk a little bit about their meaning for a second. The translation we have here, formless and empty, is right. But it doesn't quite capture the whole of what's going on here. These words talk of a place of chaos, a place that's in, incapable of supporting life. This phrase is only used two other times in the whole of the Bible, and it's used to speak of the effects of God's judgment and of chaos. Chaos and emptiness reign where there's tohu vabohu. So the Bible is teaching us right here at the outset that that's the state the earth was in. And it's always the state that we find when God is absent. Now, just to, just to be sure that that is what's going on in these opening verses, we see it in the next part of the verse. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Do you remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, that in the biblical world, darkness usually signifies the absence of God. We talked about it when we talked about Jesus on the cross, and how for three hours the world fell dark. And that was to signify that for the first time in all eternity, Jesus was experiencing the absence of God. Well, here we're being told 
about the absence of God. So if we, if we bring this whole picture together, we have chaos and we have emptiness. And this world is chaotic and empty because it's without God. And then as we read on, we, we discover a wonderful thing. We discover that God isn't far away. Although this world is empty and chaotic, the Spirit of God, we read, is hovering over the waters. Whenever the Old Testament talks about the Spirit of God, it usually means God's creative power. So here we have an image of of the creative power of God hovering, a bit like a, a, a mother bird hovering over her brood. The Spirit of God hovering over this world of chaos and darkness, ready to act. I don't want to go too much further with Genesis chapter 1 this morning. We're going to deal with the whole of the days of creation when we come back to, to look at this in future weeks. The reason I don't want to go any further is because I don't want to glibly gloss over this astonishing introduction to our Bible. You see, these two short verses have already confronted and undermined the whole of our modern secular humanist worldview. We have already been told that a God exists. We've been told that that God made the entire universe and that the universe didn't come into being by some random big bang. And we've, we'll discover as we go further in Genesis 1 that that same God has created us and that we aren't the product of some accident of, of genetics and evolution. It turns out that the world in which we live and our very existence in it is the result of the will of God And friends, if all of that is true, it's very, very much at odds with a lot of the thinking in our modern world. And if all of that is true, it has massive implications for your life and for mine. Of course, a lot of people, if if they were here this morning and, and hearing me preach like this, they would tell me straight off that it simply isn't true. That tell me that Genesis 1, and that the whole Bible for that matter, they're, they're creations of fiction. They're the creation of people who can't make it through life on their own. People who are looking for a crutch to lean on. In fact, they'll tell you that's the purpose of all religion. That religion exists to give purpose and to give meaning. To give people something to worship. That's what they'll say religion's all about. Giving people fulfilling in them the need to worship something outside of themselves. I wonder what you would say to a person who, who says something like that. I would probably say that they're about half right and would agree wholeheartedly in half of what they've said because they've recognized a very important part of what it is to be human. To be human is to worship Human beings through all time and through all cultures have always worshipped. They've always found something to worship. Now, in ancient times, 
you, you may know, people often worshipped the sun or the moon or the stars, or they'd worship the very forces of nature which provided them with a livelihood. Now, that probably sounds really daft to us, to our modern ears. You might be surprised if I tell you that actually there's a massive revival in all of this in Western society just at the moment. If you've ever heard of the New Age movement, if you scratch beneath the surface of the New Age movement, you discover at its heart a worship of nature. The whole New Age philosophy is based on the belief that God's presence can be found in the physical elements of nature. As we read on in Genesis, we're going to discover that God's word refutes both the ancient, the ancient worshiper of the sun and the moon and the stars, but also refutes the modern New Age believer, if you like. But I think there's a, there's a different type of person alive and well in Britain in 2005. And that person actually would argue with what I've just said. They would say that they, they don't believe in anything, that they're not a worshiper, and that they don't feel any need to worship. Well, if I, if I was having coffee with a person like that, I'd want to scratch beneath the surface a little bit and ask them a couple of questions. Many people who aren't worshiping God or nature or any of the things that human beings over the millennia have worshipped are worshipping today nevertheless. They're worshipping with every bit as much energy as the people of the past did. Think for a second of the growing amount of time and energy that we're giving to following our celebrities. Huge audiences will sit for hours watching their heroes play music or play sport. They'll be glued for hours to the TV. Think of, of the, the vast, you know the rating figures for something like EastEnders or, or Coronation Street? Think of millions of people who gather every night around the TV to spend time as their, their gods act out human dramas in the soap operas or eat bugs in the rainforest. Friends, Britain is a worshipping nation. If we aren't worshipping God, then we're worshipping something else. We're worshipping either celebrities or materialism or something else. We're made to worship, and everybody does. Friends, this is the world in which Genesis 1 was written, and it's the world in which you and I live today, a world where human beings have this powerful urge to worship something beyond themselves. And it's into that world that God's Word comes and speaks and says, in the beginning, long before people existed, long before they had any desire to worship, in the beginning, God was, existed, and always will be. And that God created the heavens and the earth. As we continue in this series in the early chapters of Genesis, we're going to learn more about this God. We're going to learn about how he created the world, how he created human beings, 
and give it to us as a home. And then we're going to learn how, how humanity walked away from him, worshipped other things. But then we're going to learn the wonderful news that God doesn't give up on us. We're going to begin to see the lengths that God goes to to keep us worshipping him, to keep us by his side. As I close this morning, I want to bring you back for a second to verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1, to this pre-created world. Do you remember? It's a chaotic place. It's empty and it's dark. According to the Bible, that is the natural state of the world without God. And experience tells us that it's the natural state of all human life without God. Until God's presence becomes a reality, our lives are dark, they're chaotic, and they're meaningless. I know we've just finished celebrating Christmas, but let's not imagine that the implications and the the glorious shockwaves of Christmas won't fill this whole year. The wonderful message of Christmas is that Jesus came into the world to work a new creation. At the time when Jesus came, creation and all that God had done in Eden seemed like a dim and distant memory for God's people. Sin reigned and darkness and chaos. And it's into that world, that world of tovu babohu, that Jesus Christ came. To people who were experiencing emptiness and meaninglessness. What did he say? I've come that they might have life and have it in all its fullness. He came to the people who'd been walking in the darkness, and when they saw him, they saw a great light. I'm the light of the world, Jesus said. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. People's lives. People who meet Jesus Christ, their lives are so powerfully changed that Paul said this. He said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. A new creation. Friends, that's, that's the exhilarating message of the gospel. The gospel that I am privileged to share with you week by week. God hasn't changed. He's still a God who brings light into darkness, who brings meaning where there's chaos and emptiness. Now, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for each one of us to experience in our lives at the beginning of 2005? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Friends, wouldn't it be lovely if at the beginning of this year, God worked his wonderful new creation in your life. Let us pray.